0: Well, Welcome, everybody. I am so glad to see you guys. Come on in. There's plenty of room. We've got lots of chairs. How are you guys tonight? So we had a ton of women sign up this week, which is awesome. That's why you have more chairs around. So we want you to be able to be comfortable when the teaching starts so you can scooch around, do whatever you need. And if you end up having extra seats at your table that we can pull away, um, if someone doesn't come, we're happy to do that, too. Um, But again, we're just so excited that um, more people are signing up, and that's just great. So I'm Meg McKinley. I'm the women's director here at Watermark Plano, and we're really excited to get going. And we've been praying that you guys have been paying attention to the little nudges that the Lord has been giving you to surrender more of your heart to him. That's what we talked about last week. And in our second Samuel study, we are talking about God's loyal love and how he showers us with his steadfast Faithful love, and our response, our reasonable response is surrender. And so, one of the things is that we, um, as we get going, we want to do each week before the teaching, we want to have a leader come up and just tell you a little bit about themselves in terms of areas that the Lord has been in their life asking them to surrender. Um, it's just a way for you to kind of see some of the leaders, get to know them a little bit, and then just hear how the Lord is asking some of us leaders to really surrender, um, particularly in the area of sharing his love with other people. So tonight, I am going to ask Shara O'Neill to come up. Come on up, Shara. Yep. Shara is the team leader of our servants team. We call the leadership team of Women's Bible Study the servants team, and she is our Thursday night team leader. And so we are looking forward to hearing how God has moved you along in the area of surrender. Awesome.
1: Um, So just a little bit of background about um, just my spiritual Journey, I was raised in a Christian home, and I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was five, but I would say um, a lot of my life was was marked by mediocrity. I went to church, and the the community that we were in made it really easy to do a lot of good things and serve, and um, up until about eight years ago, um, I really didn't understand how good God was to me and how much He loved me, so about that time, um, just some circumstances in our life, um, just pushed me on the on-ramp to just really wanting to figure out who is this God who sent a son to die for, for me and my sins and, um, why, why would he do this? Why would he, um, bestow his grace and his love on me? So I just fell in love with him and the word and just digging in and, um, About four years into that, about four years ago, um, the Lord was just really opening up my eyes to, well, what's next? If I'm really serious about how good God's been to me and how much he loves me and I'm excited about it, then why am I not sharing it with anybody? And so um, it was a time in our life where I had just made a a pretty big transition from being a stay-at-home mom to um, working full-time. I had a marketing job. In the corporate world. And so I had some great women friends I just made. And I um, really, as I was on this journey of just trying to figure out who can I talk to and who can I um, share how good God has been to me, um, God just laid these women on my heart. They were already my friends. And um, so I approached our office manager about seeing if I could start a Bible study. And she was a believer. So it was awesome. She um, was happy to facil- facilitate that, and we didn't want people to feel like they were left out, or their job depended on them going, or um, or maybe they they had to go or anything like that. And so we decided that we would um, just take some time at lunch and go over a book and um, just stay in together. Whoever wanted to come could come. We'd meet in a conference room, kinda out of the way, so nobody felt like they had to go. And this just was a really sweet group of women. There were some women who had um were just really mature in their faith and they served the Lord in their church and um were faithful to get in the word every day. Um there were some who had been like me and their lives were just um they they knew Christ, but they they weren't walking daily with him. And then there were others who um just didn't even know really what to think about any of it so it was a really awesome group of friends that would just meet at lunch and discuss how good god was through this book and it just opened up a lot of conversations around that table but even more so opened up conversations um outside that table and um the women would come into my office and be like okay i'm struggling with this and we would just point to scripture. So it just, it opened up so many doors in that regard. And we just were able to, or I was able to point people just back to, um, the truth had been so sweet to me. Um, but there is one woman in particular, um, she's my age and she's a good friend of mine. And, um, she would come in my office almost every day (laughs) and had some great story about her date last night. She wasn't married. Um, and she had so much uh, of her worth was wrapped up in that and not being married and um, looking for a man and a spouse that would fulfill her. And so um, we just process through that. Like, where is our, where is our worth from? Is it from our husbands or our kids or a boyfriend or that idea? Um, but we would just look at what did the Bible say? The Bible says that our worth is found in, in who we are in Christ. And so... As we talked through that, her perspective shifted, and um, the inappropriate relationships and just kind of serial dating changed, and she began to look for a man who um, was seeking Christ the way that she was, and her shift of mind from, um, I find my worth in the guy that I'm dating, or the, the, the potential that this might turn out, and this might be the one to finding her worth and and being God's child. So that was super sweet. Um, And then about a year and a half after that, I actually switched jobs and went into teaching. And so our relationship changed a little bit. It wasn't her coming into my office, but it was phone calls and texts. But she has been such a great encouragement to me because she'll say, okay, how can I pray for you? How are your kids doing? Um, And I've been able just to keep encouraging her on her walk. And she actually got married last Saturday. And the awesome thing about it was she met this guy. He's actually a a watermark guy who's been faithful and serving here. And um, their their wedding ceremony was just a beautiful worship service. So that was super awesome to be a part of and um, just see God work in that circumstances um, with her. So I never really expected the opportunities to come after i just thought, oh cool i'm gonna have a bible study and i'm gonna be able to talk about jesus to them and it's gonna be really really awesome but i'm so glad that i've gotten this chance to show my good friends god's loyal love and it has been such a joy to me
0: thank you so much Share. that's so awesome All right. We just want to kind of keep sharing stories as we um, move through the semester. So we'll do that each week and get to know each of our leaders a little bit better, too. So um, I'm going to transition us into teaching. And tonight we have Randy Weidman as our teacher. Um, Randy also uh, is a a huddle uh, leader on Wednesday mornings, and uh, she's been in Young Life for forever, and she's led women in Bible studies, and she is just um, a blessing to us in teaching. So as she comes, I'm going to pray for us uh, for this evening. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your loyal love never ceases to amaze and to minister to us and help us surrender in ways that we don't even know are possible until we take that step. And I thank you for the ways that Randy has surrendered her life to serving you and ministering to us through her teaching, and I just ask that you would give us ears to hear what you what you have for us tonight. Um, and we just love you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Thanks, Meg. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Randy Weidman, um, but my best friends call me Rands, so you're more than welcome to. I. Like Meg said, I normally hang out with Wednesday morning women, and so I am super, super thrilled that I get the privilege of being here on Thursday nights, because can y'all feel it? Like, there is just something really cool going on at Thursday night Bible study, um, and so I love, I love seeing your faces, and I can't wait to really get to know y'all. So, some things that are really important about me is that I love candy and ice cream and soda. Like, I would eat it and drink it for every meal if it wasn't terrible for you, okay? I love being goofy. Like, cheesy, cheesy jokes and little kid cartoons are, I just, I love them. I have no standard of entertainment at all. Like, give me an opportunity to be goofy, and I'm all in. So, I love being around people, but truthfully, I love, like, still quiet time. And I'm a Colorado girl that lived in Nebraska for a little bit and ended up in Texas. And I love it. I'm I'm a total nerd. I was a physics and chemistry teacher that turned into a Bible study teacher. And I love teaching the Bible. I am married to the best guy I know, Matt. And we have two really special little girls, McKinley, who's seven and Mercy Bell, who's 18 months. And we have a golden retriever named Trigger. And we just recently got a big fluffy bunny named Oreo. Okay. He's black and white and he chews my carpet, but I'm learning to love him. So it's okay. Um, because my daughter loves him. So my biggest fans are mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. They love me. They won't leave me alone. Anybody else? (laughs) Okay. Well, clearly I'm just a crazy Totally ordinary girl that is crazy in love with an extraordinary guy. And he has rescued me and redeemed me and forgiven me. And I love bragging on what he has done in my life, y'all. And so there are a lot of days that I feel like I am just holding on. But I love guys that I know who is always holding on to me. And that's what I love about David. Right? David, a man after God's own heart, a heart fully surrendered. He knew who was holding on to him. And as much as Second Samuel is about David and his heart, it's actually more so about God and God's heart. So do y'all remember last week we introduced you to this world this word called Hesed? Do you remember that word? It means loyal love. And we showed y'all that the curriculum this year is titled loyal love through triumph and trouble. Y'all, God's loyal love, not David's, God's. We're going to see God's perfect love for an imperfect man. God's restorative love for a broken nation. How the king of the universe loves on this little shepherd king of Israel but I don't want us to miss God's heart penned on every single page of 2 Samuel because we got lost in the details of the story. See, I just told y'all so much random stuff about me, right? Pieces of who I am that I really hope point to whose I am. And if you read, if you did your homework for today, 2 Samuel chapters 2, 3, 4, and part of 5, you're probably like, wow. That's a lot of random stuff. That's a lot of random people and a lot of random things. And I just read it all and I have no idea what just happened. Okay, you are in good company, my sweet friends. Okay, because Beth Moore says, sometimes we stand to learn the most about God from the situations we understand the least. So if that's where you come coming in today and you feel like you don't understand this at all, man, God's got something in store. So lean in. We don't read the Bible for information. We read the Bible for transformation. And as we learn about God's heart, it transforms us. So Lord, please, through this lesson today, transform us. I'm so excited about the lesson we have today. So where we are in the middle of 2 Samuel is in a civil war. And it is so important that we understand the context of the book that... Of the Bible, where when it's being written, so the king of Israel, King Saul, has just died. Right, that happened last week. We talked about it. Okay, and at the beginning of Second Samuel two, when we pick up today, David gets anointed over the king of Judah. Y'all, that's the southern kingdom, right? And King Ishbosheth. Can you guys say Ishbosheth?
0: Ishbosheth.
2: Um. He is Saul's youngest son, and he gets appointed king over Israel, which is the northern kingdom. All right, so are y'all with me? Southern kingdom, David, Judah. Northern kingdom, Ishbosheth, Israel. Awesome. Okay, but there was a war raging, y'all. There was division. The north versus the south. The house of David versus the house of Saul. God's choice versus man's choice. Israelites fighting Israelites. A country divided. Y'all, often I feel like we are in a country divided right now. American versus American. Perhaps not in the same way of civil wars in our nation's past, but the same division exists that wages battles between us. Division instead of unity And maybe this is you right now. Maybe you are in a marriage divided. Instead of fighting alongside your husband, you are fighting against him. Maybe it's you and your kids. As much as you want them to know you are on their team, they treat you like an enemy. Or maybe it's that you want your kids to be independent, but you're really trying to learn how to parent an adult child. You are a home divided. Or maybe it's striving so hard to meet and do every responsibility you have at home and work and with your husband and your kids and your friends and at church and you feel like you always come up short. Your attention is divided. Or maybe you feel divided in your career that you don't necessarily like where you're at, but you have no idea where you're supposed to be going. Maybe it's your friend's. Maybe you have friends that push you towards Jesus, and you have friends that pull you away. You are socially divided, and maybe it's the division within the church that gets you married, not married, stay-at-home mama, working mama, organic, non-organic. You get at public school, homeschool, y'all. We become a church divided but maybe it's your own divided heart. You want God, but really you want the things of this world too. You're a kingdom divided. And Jesus, he wisely told his followers that a house divided will not stand. See, the Israelites were God's chosen people. His intention for them was never division. And so God chose David. Paid to be king, to unify and bring peace to his people. And so today, within the context of so much division, we are going to see the stark difference between seeking God and seeking the things of this world. And so I want you all to ask yourself, what are you seeking? And as we go through these three chapters in 2 Samuel We are going to look at what happens when three different sets of characters pursue three different things. We're going to look at the seeking of vision, vengeance, and vindication. Vision, vengeance, and vindication. And the theme that's going to be woven through all of this is what you seek makes you strong or weak. So what you seek makes you strong or weak. So with that, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse one. Y'all, I love this verse so much that you really should open up to it if you have your Bible. Really, really. All right, I'm gonna... Read it. It's just verse 1. 2 Samuel 2, verse 1. Reads: In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up to the towns of Judah, he asked. And the Lord said, go up. David asked, well, where should I go? To Hebron. The Lord answered. Don't y'all love that verse? (laughs) Probably, I don't know why it's special. You will. All right. So the first point that I want us to see today is that when David seeks vision from the Lord, it brings great strength. Vision produces strength. And we're going to see it through David. Remember, what you seek makes you strong or weak. Well, y'all, what does that verse start with? It says, in the course of, anybody? Time. Y'all, change takes time. And it is not our place to rush God when he is doing some changes in us. See, there's been a lot of time that David had spent waiting to become king, waiting on God's promises, right? 15 years until this point he had waited. He's going to wait for seven and a half more, 22 and a half years of waiting. See, the journey that God had David on was wonky, right? It didn't go probably as David had thought it would go at all. God was saying, go, stop, fight, be still, wait, wait some more, fight some more. And as we wait, and as our journeys are wonky, and not what we thought they were going to be, let us remember that God is always on time. He is always. Always on time. God is never late. Y'all remember last week when Meg taught, she reminded us that a heart fully surrendered waits on God and asks what God wants. Y'all remember that? It was so good. Y'all, that's exactly what we see David do here. David inquired of God before he took a single step to the throne. I love that, right? Y'all, if David was interested in just getting to the throne, he would have killed Saul, all those opportunities he had. He could have taken the throne by force. He was David. Ah, but David wanted to get to the throne God's way, your way or God's way. Because no matter how long you wait for direction, we are wise to ask God for vision before we take the next step. And no one ever said that waiting is easy, right? If you've waited for anything, you know that it is hard. But as we surrender in our waiting, we realize that there's purpose in waiting and that there's preparation in waiting and there's provision in waiting. And as we wait, we should ask God for a vision as to what to do next. See, I'm in a season of waiting right now, a season where I am begging God every single day to show me my next step to take. Because of my history with breast cancer and my chance of recurrence, my oncologist has recently suggested that I get both of my ovaries removed to eliminate the hormones that my cancer feasts off of. Well, y'all, that would mean if I got my ovaries removed that I wouldn't be able to have any more biological children. And that breaks my heart. Y'all, my heart is divided because I desire so much to have a biological son named MJ that looks like his daddy and plays like his daddy. And yet I have a desire to stay alive for the sweet, precious girls that the Lord has entrusted me with. My heart is divided. And so daily I am on my knees seeking God for vision as to what to do next. Because I know if it's his step, I'll have the strength to do it. But the decision seems too big for Matt and I to make. So God, just give me my next step. What you seek makes you strong or weak. And I am seeking vision right now. And so my battle cry has been, I will wait for God's will. I will wait for God's will. Turn to somebody at your table and say, I will wait for God's will. Hmm. Yeah, we will. Man, it feels good to say it out loud. Lord, I don't want to take a single step without you. I will wait for your will. Now, I know some of y'all are like, well, if God spoke to me like he spoke to David then I would definitely do what he said to do because I would know what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Meg touched on this last week, y'all, but why doesn't God speak to us in the audible way that he spoke to David in the Old Testament? He doesn't have to. He has given us two incredibly awesome things that they didn't have in. God has given us the completed written word of God And he has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us in. Y'all, the Holy Spirit is like the secret sauce. He is the ever-present gift to the believer, okay? The Bible says that he is our counselor. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I need a counselor to help me figure stuff out. And he's ever-present with us. So we have a map, the Bible, and we have a navigator, the Holy Spirit that helps us understand it. See, I'm directionally challenged. So when I look at a map, there are so many times where I have no idea where I am, let alone where I'm supposed to be going. And I feel like that's all too often how we look at the Bible. We open it up and we have no idea where we are, let alone where we're supposed to be going with it. The Bible is a treasure map. And God has given the Holy Spirit to take, let, help us take hold of that treasure. If you want a word from God, get in the word of God. Seek God for every step. He hears you. He will answer you. He is always on time. He's never late. And he will give you the strength, as he's going to give me, to go, to stop, or to wait some more. Because strength comes when we seek vision from God. So as we continue reading in 2 Samuel 2 and 3, we are going to see the results of seeking vengeance. So the second point we are going to make today is seeking vengeance will lead to weakness. Because what you seek makes you strong or weak. So we just saw David seek vision from the Lord and it brought him strength. And now we're going to see one of David's trusted companions seek vengeance. And it's going to lead to his destruction. Because we don't have time to read through this whole story, I'm going to try to give you the Randy Cliff notes in a way that you'll understand. Hopefully. All right. So we have, at the beginning of this, two main players. We have Abner. Okay. Abner is the commander of Saul's army. Okay, he is Team Saul. Okay, Abner is. So that means he's part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And then you have Joab. Joab is the commander of David's army. Okay, so he's Team David, the southern kingdom of Judah. Right? So we have a civil war going on. We have Team David versus Team Saul. We have Joab versus Abner happening. And David's team is winning. In 2 Samuel 3, verse 1, it'll be up there. 1 and 2, it reads, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. What you seek makes you strong or weak. And the rules of war, sisters, are harsh. And they are often really hard for civilians to understand but I want us to try and put ourselves in the middle of the division that is happening in this story. So here we go. One day, team David is fighting team Saul. Okay. They had a little battle and the battle for the day was over. And Joab had a brother named Asahel. Everybody say Asahel. Asahel. Perfect. And Asahel, Team David, he started chasing after Abner, okay? And Abner was saying, quit chasing me, Asahel. The battle's over for today. Leave me alone. If you keep chasing me, I'm going to have to kill you. And I don't want to kill the commander of my enemy's army, right? Like, I don't want to do that. But Asahel kept pursuing him and pursuing him. And so Abner kills Asahel by stabbing him in the stomach. Well, Joab, I know that we could all begin to understand how Joab must have been feeling in that moment, right? Overwhelmed by the grief of losing his brother. His brother getting killed pretty much right in front of him. And so Joab is upset. And his anger turns into hatred. And that's where we see, and he is so mad at Abner. And Abner's like, dude, it was just, we're doing war here. And Joab's like, no, it was personal. And so they retreat, okay? And Abner goes back to Team Saul, and Joab goes back to Team David. Well, then we read that Abner going back, to where he's from, Team Saul, to King Ishbosheth, and King Ishbosheth greatly offends him by accusing him of sleeping with one of his father's concubines. Do y'all remember that part? Random. Do we know whether he actually did it or not? No, we don't. Does it matter? Not really. Okay. Either way, Abner got super offended. Whether it was conviction or pride, he said, "I'm done." I'm done being on the losing team. I'm ready to go over to David's winning team. Mm. And y'all, Abner decides to change his allegiance from team Saul to team David. And I wish we had time to look at David here. This is my favorite part of this lesson. Because as David's enemy approaches him, okay, what does David do? He listens to him. He seeks to understand him. He welcomes him. He accepts him ultimately. And in verse 20, it says that David had a feast for him. David's enemy changes his allegiance and he's fully accepted and welcomed. Y'all, this is what God does for us. I love this picture. He made the choice to go from the enemy's team to God's team. And he was accepted and welcomed. An enemy to a friend, y'all. What was lost is now found. See, whenever you're ready to change your allegiance from whatever team you're playing on, know that God is ready to accept you and celebrate you and welcome you into his kingdom. How cool is that? Because at some point, every one of us in this room, were on the losing team. And by God's sweet grace, some of us are on the winning team now. And all it took was a moment of surrender where we raise our white flag and say, I'm done. I'm done being on the enemy's team. I want to be on God's team. So maybe today is the day you need to change your allegiance. Wave your white flags, y'all. Your father in heaven is saying, come on. I love it. Okay, but we got to keep going in 2 Samuel. And in chapter 3, things are about to take a turn, okay? Abner, he just changed his allegiance, right? He's doing great. He leaves David in peace. And you have Joab, and he gets, you know, wind that all of a sudden his arch enemy is now on team David. And how do you guys think he's feeling? All of that grief and hatred and anger is probably all stirred up Again, And he probably couldn't think straight. And all he could think about was avenging his brother's death. And so we read that Joab approaches Abner. And he was like, come on, let's have a peaceful conversation. Tricky guy. And in verse 27, it reads, And there to avenge the death of his brother, Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. The second point I want us to see tonight is that vengeance leads to weakness. What you seek makes you strong or weak. The seeking of vengeance led to great weakness to the point that evil overtook him. Y'all, Joab was a man of great strength. He was a commander of the strongest army in the world. But when the seeds of vengeance were planted in him, it overtook him because he didn't know what to do with all those feelings of grief that he was feeling. And so his grief turned to anger and his anger turned to hatred and his hatred led to murder. Well, y'all last week here in Plano, Texas, just a few miles down Spring Creek, a man shot and killed eight people, including his soon to be ex-wife. Now I don't claim to know or understand the dynamics of their marriage or their impending divorce. But what I do see is a man that was grieving over the loss of his marriage and he didn't know what to do with all those feelings. And so those feelings turned to anger and that anger turned to hatred and that hatred led to murder. See, the seeking of vengeance overtook his heart and his mind and it resulted in devastation. Well, God speaks to this Romans 12, verses 19 and 21 say, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God reminds us, vengeance is not ours to take. Now, I know you guys are sitting here and you're like, well, vengeance really isn't high on my struggles list right now. But vengeance, in its simplest form, is just wanting someone else to feel our pain. And I am certain that everybody in here has gotten good and angry. And we've lashed out in our anger. I want you to hurt because you hurt me. I just can't let this go. I don't know how to deal with all these feelings that I'm feeling. And so I'm going to make others feel it. See, and most of the time, our anger and our hurt and our brokenness gets taken out on the people we love the most. And I think all of our husbands and roommates and mamas would be saying amen right now. Right? Because that's where we go with it. Hurt people hurt people, and in 1 John 3.15, we are told that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Y'all, that's God's standard. He equates hatred with murder. The seeds of hate, they run deep. They may not result in you actually killing someone, but I guarantee those seeds of hate will kill your joy, your peace, and your contentment in your life. Do not give yourself over to the evil that so badly wants to overtake you. Y'all, do you trust God enough to deal with the really, really hard stuff, the feelings that you feel like you are never going to sort out? God promises that one day he will overcome evil once and for all, that he's going to make all the wrongs right. And we are just called to wait on him to do it. God is trustworthy. We can trust Him with our crazy feelings. We can trust Him to deal with evil. And I have to ask myself all the time: am I going to trust my feelings, my wacky, wacky feelings? Or am I going to trust God's word and His promises? God is trustworthy. What you seek makes you strong or weak. And the seeking of vengeance, wanting somebody else to feel your pain, that leads to weakness. And then the third point that we're going to look at tonight is what happens when we seek vindication? Okay, well, vindication is seeking proof that someone or something is right, reasonable, or justified. Vindication. Vindication. See, what you seek makes you strong or weak. And we're going to see how the seeking of vindication from two men will ultimately result in great weakness. So at this point in the story, y'all, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 4. If you're going. And Abner is dead. And Saul's army is getting weaker and weaker. Okay. So the civil war has taken this big turn towards David's army, towards David's team. So you can only imagine how the people of the northern kingdom, the people of Israel, how they're feeling. Like, what are we going to do once we lost the war? What's our future? What's going to happen? And it says that there were two brothers, Banah and Rechab, and that they were leaders in the raiding bands of Saul's army. Okay, they were team Saul. Or so it seems. And if you read in Second Samuel four, it says that these two brothers went to the house of King Ishbosheth in the middle of the day, and King Ishbosheth was sleeping, taking a nap. Man, tough life, King, napping in the middle of the day. <laughs> and they went to him when he was vulnerable and asleep, and they stabbed him in the stomach, and they killed him, and they cut off his head. And they took that head and they traveled through the night to bring it to David. And I'm sure as they were traveling and they were probably imagining what David was going to say to them when he, they brought this head of his enemy to him. Like David's going to high five them and hug him and say, you're awesome. You guys are heroes. Thank you. Let's celebrate. Right. In great excitement, they were going to tell David they had killed his enemy that God took vengeance for him. See, these brothers were seeking vindication from David. We were absolutely justified in murdering Ishbosheth because, David, you wanted him dead. He's the bad guy. We're one of the good guys. The end justifies the means. Our evil is okay because we're just trying to eliminate a greater evil. Huh. That reminds me of so many terrible events in our country and in our world. From the Holocaust to every single mass shooting, people have bought the lie that their evil deed is justified because it was eliminating a greater evil. See, in some way, all of the villains wanted others to see their evil deeds and praise them for it. And so we have to ask ourselves how often do we do things for the praise of others? Before I met Jesus, I was a mess. I was a hurt girl that hurt others. I was a typical mean girl. I bought the lie that being mean to some was worth the praise of others. I'm going to tear you down to build me up. My heart was so ugly but I felt justified in my evil. If I ever felt bad for being mean, I'd quickly say, you know, it's worth it. Their pain is worth my gain. And even now, as a wife, I can find myself believing the lie that it's okay that I spoke to my husband in a disrespectful way because I'm right in whatever we're arguing about. Or as a mama, it's okay that I just yelled at my daughter's Because they did something so wrong and I'm right. Even though how I'm acting is so wrong, the enemy feeds me the lie that I'm justified in how I'm acting. Have any of y'all struggled with this? Just because you may be right doesn't mean that your yucky stuff isn't wrong. Vindication, justification of evil. That is the world that I lived in before Jesus radically changed me. That is the world that we live in right now. And that is the world that this story is written in then. But these brothers that killed the man seeking the praises of David, and David gives them a response that they were not expecting. Let's read it. In 2 Samuel 4, verse 11, it says, How much more would wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and in his own bed? Should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? In other words, David is saying, no, I'm not going to recognize you or celebrate you or appreciate you. What you did was evil, not good. Y'all, this is the same response that we saw David give the Amalekite who claimed to kill King Saul in chapter one. David says it again, you are not vindicated in your evil deeds. But David's response was so uncommon. And he didn't celebrate evil even when it was for his great gain. No wonder he was called a man after God's own heart. But David, he gives us this cool glimpse into God's heart and how God responds to evil. You need to know it, y'all. God never delights in evil. Never. He is never the author of evil. He hates evil. God is good. He is the author of every good thing. Ladies, I want you to know the good, good heart of God. Because when you do, his praise is all you begin to care about. We saw here in 2 Samuel 4 that the seeking of vindication from these brothers, their deep desire to be praised, ultimately led to their destruction. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's not try and justify our evil deeds by their good purpose. Let's not live our lives for the praise of others, but for God's praise alone. Let's be women, wives, moms, coworkers, friends, that don't ever try to justify our evil, but rather own our own junk, confess it, and receive the Lord's forgiveness. Maybe today's the day you need to surrender your desire for other people to see that you're right. Let's be women that say, there is no place for evil in me. God is good, and I want to know the goodness of him. See, what you seek makes you strong or weak, and the seeking of vindication The seeking of wanting praise from other people, it brings weakness. Tonight, we saw the results of seeking vision, vengeance, and vindication. That they either lead to great strength or complete weakness. See, what you seek, or should we say who you seek, really matters. It will affect you, define you, and either Unify or divide you? David sought the Lord for 22 years as he waited on God to fulfill his promise to him. And that's at the very end of our scripture reading today in 2 Samuel 5, David becomes king over all of Israel. The northern and southern kingdoms are unified. What was so divided is now united under the reign of God's choice. And y'all, that's what God wants to do. He wants to unite our divided hearts under the reign of Christ. A divided house, a divided heart will never stand. So let's let our holy God make our hearts whole. Let's seek the Lord like we never have before. My favorite verse right now is 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen, 19. And it reads, Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord. And that's what I'm doing. I'm devoting my heart and soul to seeking the Lord. And I hope that you guys will join me. Y'all, we are going to listen to Shane and Shane Psalm 34. So if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 34. And just let God's word wash over your heart and your mind. And maybe for the first time today, seek him.
0: I'm 34th. And answer me And
2: me From every fear? And those who look- so